Welcome to Energy Matters, where we explore alternative health in the Pioneer Valley. I'm your host, Caroline Rutterman, and I'm a Reiki professional and intuitive in Northampton, Massachusetts. For the past nine years, I've been teaching people how to use their intuition and helping them reduce stress and anxiety. Together, we'll talk with other practitioners and learn how they bring health and healing to the Pioneer Valley. Let's do this. Hey, welcome, welcome, everyone. You are listening to Energy Matters, and I am your host, Caroline Rutterman, and we have another great show for you today. We are here with a friend of mine uh, and a um, a professional coach, and her name is Catherine Golub. So welcome, Catherine. Hi. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, so we're going to chat a little bit about um, about what you do, and so so tell us what is what is a professional coach? What is it that you the heart of what you do? So coaches do a lot of different things. And at the heart of it is holding space for people through their transformations. Um, The word that my clients use most frequently when they come to me to describe what they want is clarity. So most of my clients come contemplating a transition in their lives and their work, whether it's um, considering finding a new job or building a business or they're leading an organization or engaged in a social movement where they face all sorts of different decisions. People come to me to get clear and confident about what's next in their work. So there's all different types of coaches, but that is really at the heart of what I do. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that clarity I feel like can be very unsettling when you don't have that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, uncertainty can be really scary. You can feel lost and so I help people develop the skills that they need to get clear and to keep getting clear. Um, yeah. Awesome. And I love on that your website, you talk, you discuss the importance of, of habit change. Mm-hmm. And you even say on one of the parts of the site, that's like, let's start having fun. And I know that, you know, in my own Reiki practice, there's been, um, you know, there's, there's been points where as I'm trying to grow into a different area, it feels a little bit more like struggle and less like fun. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm just curious, uh, which I know is a, to- it's a, such a bad habit. Mm-hmm. It's just an emotional habit in a way. Um, but I'm really curious as to how, how do you shift from that uh, mentality from from struggle to to fun and playfulness? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. So first of all, seeing things as learning or skill building or habit building, actually that shift can can be fun because it's like, how do we make this? How do we make this an adventure? How do we play at our learning edge? And human beings, when we're little, we're often taught to be afraid of learning, but innately we have a impulse to develop and to learn. And so when we, and when that, when we have a safe space, then where we're not judged and where we're supported, then the scariness kind of, it kind of goes away. It's, it doesn't take that long for my clients and sitting with me to feel like, okay, this is, it's very, very normal. A very normal response afterwards is, this is exciting. I'm excited to go out and um, and learn these skills and, and try something new. And um, it really, so how do we shift from struggle to fun? One is having people who mirror back that it's okay to not know. And so that is one of the things that I do with my clients. 
and shifting from, okay, I'm, I'm supposed to know this and I don't know it to, well, you're not supposed to know the things you haven't learned yet. So I will try it out. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I think that's super interesting too, because I, I do feel like there's some people that encourage questions and mm. then there's other people that are like, you should know this. Yeah. And it's really ingrained in uh, mm-hmm. in people's learning styles, mm-hmm. whether they've harvested that that characteristic of curiosity or uh, pretending like they, they know already. Yeah. And knowing that even curiosity is a skill, that any, any characteristic that we currently have is uh, anything that we do is a strategy to meet some need. So if we have learned to that we need to have expertise and know things, that was something that we learned in school to belong or in our families to belong or to um, to get to get by. And curiosity, even if people struggle with inquiry or being in a place of not knowing right now, it's something that they can learn. Any mindset is a skill that mm. can be learned. I love that. That's very refreshing. It also makes it feel like, oh, this is doesn't have to be a, a forever way of life for people. No, there is no forever way of life unless we choose that. I mean, our brains, I've been reading a lot of uh, neuroscience lately. It's like I kind of geek out on different topics. Sure, <laughs> and, yeah. and I haven't learned many new practices from that. I've learned a lot of affirmation of kind of the scientific basis of what I've been teaching for the last 10 years. Mm. And um, our brains do change. I read, um, I was reading a book called Mindsight by Daniel Siegel recently, who is the kind of the founder of the interpersonal neurobiology field. And he shares a case study of working with a 92 year old man whose um, wife took him to him for therapy to learn how to get in touch with his emotions. He had been incredibly left-brained, incredibly kind of disconnected from his emotions for 32 years. And at 92, he was able to learn to connect with his right brain, integrate the left and right hemispheres of his brain, and have a really friendly and healthy relationship with his emotions at that age. So really... It took a while. It takes... Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but, <laughs> but but he got there. Possible. Yeah, anything's possible. Our main, our brains are malleable. That's yeah. really cool. So, um, so when you're when you're holding space for people to feel like it's okay to not know, mm-hmm. what happens at that point for people? Hmm. You can see someone's body shift. I'm sure you see this in Reiki. A lot of sighing, pausing digesting kind of a feeling of relief as though the old stories they were holding were weights. And then it's like, oh, okay, without that weight, there's so much more freedom. And that feels really fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. Mm -hmm. That's really exciting. So what what drew you so i know that um you a lot of the people that you work with are are activists mm-hmm. are very progressive minded folks um mm-hmm. can you tell me a little bit about what drew you into working with that population of people yeah so my first job was as a waitress at friendlies when i was in high school but after that all of my jobs were uh related to community organizing so you could say i was kind of a workaholic activist uh through college I'm um, doing a lot of solidarity work in Central America, 
I worked with the hotel workers union after I graduated from college um, and organizing and activism are still really important parts of my life. Um, and then my child was born 11 years ago uh, after shortly after their father was deported back to Mexico. Oh boy. Yeah. So I was 25. I moved to Mexico when I was seven months pregnant, had my baby uh, and that started this this saga in my personal life of six years of working to get my kid's father's visa. And so I couldn't go back to my work with the union. And I was like, what do I do now? I've just had a baby. Okay, I'll be a birth doula and a childbirth educator and, uh, and a yoga teacher. Um, but when I returned to the United States uh, seven and a half years ago, I couldn't do those things as a single mom. I couldn't do those things as a single mom working on call. So I was like, okay, what do I do <laughs> during the day? And I did a health coach training, which is not one of the main trainings that I still source from. Um, but I started as a health coach and was quickly um, realized that my clients were not coming to me for weight loss or pain reduction or any of the health coaching related things they were coming to me around challenges with their work and I was able to source from a lot of the other trainings that I'd already done um, birthing from within and a year-long apprenticeship in the four agreements and um, and over the last several years of coaching people around their work really discovered that the people that I'm most drawn to serve are people who have a calling to really make a difference in the world whether that's healers or that's uh they're at a nonprofit or they're teachers or nurses or um, doing systems change work. So yeah, that's kind of the long story about how I came here. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, <clears throat> I, it's, it is very interesting, you know, when you talk about that transition from going to, um, you know, being a single mom and having the flexibility of creating the schedule that you want to create. Mm. It's really, really empowering, you know, mm -hmm. to be able to have that, um, that not just the flexibility in the schedule, but you can charge your own rates. Mm -hmm. You can, I mean, it's just so much more freedom when you work for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was freedom it is freedom. It feels like freedom now. And initially, it was really scary. I mean, I was one one income, really no other, a, a, a tiny bit of support from my family, and which is important to note that I had that that access to a little bit of support from my family. But really, it was a single mom on food stamps, uh, really struggling at the beginning. So yeah, there was freedom and a lot of potential that I'm now <laughs> realizing. But for the first few years, it was it was really hard being a single mom on a self-employed income, um, but it was that or I got my bachelor's in Latin American studies. It was that or getting a a, a harder job. Like I, there wasn't there weren't many other jobs that I had access to. So yeah. Um, well, I think you made yeah. a good choice. I think I made a great choice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and yeah and. And I think that a lot of business coaches might not paint a very realistic view of what it is like to build a business as a single mom and um, the, the fear or struggles of that. So just want to, if folks are listening who are in a similar situation, like there's nothing wrong with you that, that, it's, a, that it's a struggle at the beginning and you can grow it. Yeah. And you can shift yeah. it. So much. Yeah. I mean, I relied on the practices that I still teach now to really hold me through that time. That's fabulous. Yeah. 
Um, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Energy Matters on Valley Free Radio, and we're here chatting with Catherine Golov, um, and who is a professional coach. And um, how so you so you really got into this work through kind of the the roundabout kind of motherhood through your activist. Um, kind of circular mm-hmm. pathways <laughs> that we take when we find the things that we love to do. You never know how you're going to stumble into this yeah. work. It's it's amazing. Um, and so how does the, now how does the entrepreneurial work fit into your family life as, mm. it, as it is now having a son who's 11? Yeah. 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 Um, so really well. I only see clients during school hours and only have for this entire time. Yeah. And so what is that like seven to what how, when I do kids go to school seven to three or eight, something? eight to three but I I I don't see clients eight to three five days a week I get to choose my own hours and when I want to go to a training I go to a training when I want to take vacations off I take vacations off that's awesome yeah so it it works exceptionally well it's such a privilege to get to do this work yeah. um and can you talk about and also on your website, um, which is is callingsencouraged.com, um, on, your, on your website, you talk about the container of support. Mm-hmm. Um, and can you talk about what, what that is mm-hmm. and why it's important? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of practitioners see their clients on a, like a session-by-session basis. And what I really love about what I get to do with folks is that it's not just these individual sessions, but it's holding people over a period of time. So the container means many things. One very concrete thing that it means is that when clients first come to work with me, we create a personal development plan, which includes very specifically articulated competency-based outcomes, which are basically the the four to six habits that they need to develop in order to reach where they want to get to. Um, And then includes the competency-based outcomes and an embodied commitment statement that's kind of an anchor to the heart of what they're working on. And then it includes an action grid. This is all in a Google Doc. So the action grid, after every session, we set right-sized action steps, very specific, and there's two columns of that. So on the left, they put, we put the ap- action steps, and on the left, on the right, it's blank. And so every every Tuesday before midnight, folks, all my clients uh, write updates on how they're doing with their action steps. And on Wednesday, I sit with it and I write back. And um, that's, I love that deadline, by the way, Tuesday very, before midnight. It's very specific. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's very specific. I mean, when I start with clients. I uh, sit down for some time uh, and we go over agreements for our relationship together and that are that are really explicit in the contract that I that I have and ask them what do they need from me to get the most out of this and what do they need from themselves and really it's not something that I have actually ever seen other practitioners do like the the guiding agreements for our relationship so that um, yeah so that there's a real steady container and almost all my clients I see at least six months um of course they can end there's like I don't (laughs) they can end if they want to but that very rarely happens so there's a really where I'm holding them over this transition period of of their lives and um I yeah I wouldn't want to do it any other way it's 
you know, I, I, we we're just talking about the, the container of support that you create for people mm-hmm. over this six-month period or a little bit longer mm-hmm. during that time of transition. Um, and I really do love the the organizational aspect of having this, this Google Doc where you go mm-hmm. in and fill in your action steps. Mm-hmm. And that level of uh, accountability really just – is that like flutters my perfectionist heart. (laughs) (laughs) Just something about that Mm. is so charming to me to be like, okay, go in and like, what did you actually do Mm -hmm. this week that Mm -hmm. was in relation to uh, your your statement of Mm -hmm. like the anchor of what you want to do here and and all this kind of things. I I just, I really love that. Mm. Yeah. I love it too. Yeah. (laughs) How did, um, how did that, how did that come about? How did that mm. like little organizational uh, mm. tool come about? Mm-hmm. Um, I learned it from my presence-based coaching training. I had been, had my full-time coaching practice for, I think it was three years when one week a former client of mine and a craniosacral therapist from Greenfield both emailed me the same week to say, you need to know about this man in North Carolina who teaches coaches not that they thought that I should uh do the training my client was just like oh my god the training was so amazing I'm so excited that I'm doing this and um and my the craniosacral therapist was like yeah he'd be a great colleague but then I looked at his website and just really felt I didn't know why I wanted to do the training but I wanted to and I can, I'm kind of committed to following synchronicity, and that was definitely synchronicity. So I did the training, and mostly it was it was a lot of affirmation of what I was already doing, but the one thing that I really knew that I needed to shift was partnering more explicitly with clients, like really tracking the work. So that it wasn't these random sessions, but it was, it was really tracking all the different components of what we had talked about, because we talk about so many things. And... So that specifically was probably the biggest takeaway from that. And there were many, but that was the biggest takeaway from that training. So yeah, I learned it from Doug Selsby, the late Doug Selsby, who created presence-based coaching. Very cool. Yeah. When you say that you're committed to synchronicities, to following synchronicities, Mm -hmm. can you tell me what that (laughs) means to you? Uh, Yeah. What does that practice look like? Well, it looks like, when a couple things happen at the same moment, I know it's significant. So a good story about that is uh, that's how I met my partner currently. Uh, It was right after Trump was elected and we were both doing immigrant solidarity work. And I I, I had asked the workers center if they wanted me to take any of their worker organizers to Boston for this conference. And it was like I'd asked them about that a couple weeks prior and I hadn't heard back but then like in like a five minute span they emailed me saying yes we want you to take a couple worker organizers from the worker center and uh and a friend of mine emailed and said oh I have a place to stay in Boston in case you want to go and I was like oh wait that's weird two emails at the same time and and it turns out that one of the folks from the who he's no longer at the worker center but uh who was one of those folks who I drove was became my partner um and i was like i knew reading those emails sitting there i was like whoa there's some synchronicity here i had no idea what it was um this was almost three years ago and yeah so it's like some weird things happen and and paying attention like 
And following up with that, okay, I needed to go to Boston for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. okay, so so these things happen where maybe two things happen at once, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you say, okay, let me stop and recognize that this is a pattern, that these things are mm-hmm. happening simultaneously yeah. or back to back, or you're noticing a pattern in some mm-hmm. way. Yeah. And then and then what? And then I go with whatever that is. I listen to my body. One of the key things that I teach is intuition or skills to that strengthen intuition. And really listening to my body is really listening to your body, listening to our bodies is the really the key piece of intuition. And so if I get these and it doesn't happen that often. Like there, it. But so when it does happen, it's pretty unique. It's, um, and so it's like, okay, so what do I want? How do I ro- how do I want to respond to that? And intuition is listening to your body and really listening, getting skillful in discerning what you want, what the longing is a, that's arising. And it wasn't like, oh, I'm longing for a partner. It wasn't like I was attaching that to this. But it's like, okay, I'll do that. Um, and how that, how we, the synchronicity happens, I don't know. And in fact, the teachers who I trust the most say, we don't know how these things happen, but we don't actually need to because they do happen. And if we follow them, they lead somewhere. And they're fun and they're weird and they're often you meet your life partner or yeah 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 I don't think that there's a simple equation and I think that American culture likes one plus one equals two equations and I think that actually the way this this world this universe this place that we're in functions is way more complex than that for sure there's so many different factors that we cannot be aware of at any given times and so part of it is learning to listen yeah Yeah, and I think that that little flutter of excitement Mm. is what has led led me to Reiki. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There was just something about taking that Reiki one workshop at that time in my life that just was like, yes, this is it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I often, I joke around with my family that I make all my major life decisions, like, on my heartbeat getting louder. and. You know, I don't think they totally understand, but mm-hmm. they love me, so they try. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's that's very much what it is. It's like, yeah, there. I can't always explain it, but mm-hmm. there's just something that my body is just stands up straight. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't know how it all works, but I know that it does. And I know that intuition, when my clients come to me, nobody writes or I can't think of anyone who's ever written on their intake form, what I want to learn from you is intuition. They say, I want to get clear, I want to get confidence, I want to get focused, I want to get balanced. But the takeaways when they say what would made the biggest shifts, one of the many big, big takeaways is their relationship with their intuition and really, really trusting themselves. They may start saying, they may start at the beginning saying, I need to learn to trust myself. And and the language that they use at the end is like, I really, I really trust my intuition. And yeah. yeah. Do do people push back against trying to, uh, to uh, do people push back against, let me rephrase that. Mm-hmm. Um, I should say, how do people push back against trusting their intuition or using their intuition? Or do they at all? Well, actually, I don't. I don't get that much pushback. Partially, I'm not coming from a really the language that I use is 
I use the language that works best for my clients. And not a lot of my clients are coming with like an explicitly, some of them do come with an explicitly spiritual approach, but a lot of them don't. And it's, um, so it's kind of a mix. And I'm not like, there's a lot of like law of attraction language that really bothers me. And I think is way simplified and, and sometimes harmful. And um, I don't use a lot of that kind of modern self-help language. And as soon as, and, and how I work is very embodied, very, um, they can feel it immediately in their bodies. When I, when I, when someone is struggling with something and I ask them to pause and go inside and, and feel what they feel and say hello to their emotions and sit down next to it, they immediately get in and ask them what their emotions are trying to tell them or their sensations are trying to tell them. They immediately get the information. I source from a lot of different modalities. One is called focusing and that is, um, that is really, it's kind of immediate. So there's not actually that much resistance in the moment. It's more, how do I navigate the craziness of my life? And then there's lots of other skills for that. Like, okay, I'm getting this feeling, but I need to do all these other things. And so then there's other practices for getting focused and in the flow and organizing your life. So, yeah. yeah. So it's not the intuition. It's the, it's everything else that kind of came before it swirling around it. Yeah. And also, also the stories that we tell ourselves can get in the way, but the quickly people with support are able to recognize the difference between a story that serves them and a story that does not. So 100%. Yeah. Well, one, the ones that don't feel good anymore yeah. just are usually heavy. Yeah. Or they make people's shoulders slump. Yeah. It's like our bodies physically respond to the negative things that we tell ourselves yeah. or that other people have been told and telling us. Exactly. You know? Yeah. It's it's really I mean it's tangible. Yeah. So it's like the people expect there's different stories about the pace at which change happens and change can happen way faster than we think and it can also happen way slower than we think. And so that ability to tune in actually can be pretty quick. Even if somebody's listening to this and they're like, "Oh my god, I have no idea how to do that." Like with support, yeah. it can be really quick. And then it's like I, uh, it's like the space between the insight and the, like I, I was reading a book about intuition actually recently, and she was like the, our human body, like for the insight to come can be immediate. And then our human bodies do need to take some, it takes time for us to actually take the steps to manifest or bring into reality a vision that we have. And, and part of the work that I do is helping people keep taking those steps and stay in action instead of getting stuck and giving up. So awesome. Can we um, so can we talk about some of the stories that have that people have around change, like Mm -hmm. how how fast it happens or how slow it happens or um, can we Mm -hmm. what are what are some of the things that people have their belief systems around Mm -hmm. around change? Um, Well, I, I don't know that there's stories Nothing's coming up for me to exactly around stories around change. But one of the things that I often see is that if someone has a quote unquote bad habit, they think they need to quote unquote get rid of that. 
when in reality, any strategy that we've learned, anything that we've learned to do is actually an effort to meet a need. And so we develop these parts of ourselves that, so let's say we're, we're, we're little and um, when we're born, we have an, we have, we're, we come into this world without any judgment, right? Like there's no had, there's no bad hair days when we come into this world. Like we'll, <laughs> I'll stare at you as long as I want to stare at you yeah. and I'll stare, it'll stare, it'll stare without any self-consciousness. And so we come into this world as acceptance, but we also come into this world with this very human need for belonging. And so very quickly we begin to learn different stories and strategies to meet our need for belonging and to meet all of our other needs. So that might be the overachiever, the class clown or the rebel or the, um, the people pleaser or the, the perfectionist procrastinator. We develop all these different parts and often when people come, first come to me, they think I need to change that. I need to get rid of that part. And that has not worked for them. And that doesn't work because those parts are there to meet needs. And we need to not try to get rid of them, but to shift our relationship with them. And so that when we can step back into a witness perspective and see these different parts of ourselves that we quote unquote think are bad habits, we can stand back and look and, and listen to them with compassion and identify the needs that they're trying to meet, that then we can both meet the needs that they're trying to meet and find mm, healthier or more strategies that work for us better. And so, yeah, like a story yesterday, I was with two different clients, one back back to back, and they both said what they were afraid of is that they didn't want people, they wanted people to love them. They were like, and both of them immediately, totally different scenarios, but both of them immediately said, one said, how messed up is that that I want people to love me? And the other one's like, why is my ego so big that I want people to love me? And I was like, so they were criticizing this part of themselves and this really human need. And I said, yeah, our modern day self-help culture teaches us to that, oh, we should be the only ones to love ourselves. Or we're the only, we should love ourselves first. We're the only ones who like, we need to love ourselves. But actually that's not human. And so, um, yeah, so learning to, instead of trying to get rid of our part, the parts of ourselves or trying to get rid of our needs, understanding, learning to shift our relationship with these parts of ourselves and learning to acknowledge what, what we need and including the need for love and belonging and acceptance and approval and all of that. Mm. I'm not sure if that answers your question and that was quite a long answer, but no, but it curious. does. It does. I think that it's kind of that idea, you know, it's, it's a lot of like bushwhacking, you know, of just clearing all of these, you know, uh, judgments and kind of mm. things that we have that just get in our way. And it's like, well, mm. what's the need that we're trying to fill? Mm -hmm. And how yeah. can we, how can we shift that? Yeah. How can we shift into, um, one of the, another modality that I source from is internal family systems and how do we, in internal family systems, they talk about the self and the, the seat of consciousness. So the self is the part of ourselves that's compassionate and connected and creative and able to witness all of the other parts. And so it's not about the self doesn't ask how it's like the seat of consciousness at any moment there's a part of ourselves in the seat of consciousness. So like I'm the teacher self right now, right? That's in the seat of consciousness. And another at another moment that might not be appropriate. So how do I learn to from a place of that of self 
choose which parts are appropriate. At some moments, it might be appropriate to to procrastinate. At some moments, it's totally appropriate to rebel or to be the class clown or to be the achiever. I have a very strong achiever part. Yeah. The problem is when it's always in the seat of consciousness. So learning to be choiceful about which parts are active at any moment. Mm, I love that. To um, swing back around and um, kind of talk about you know, because when I, I I met you many years ago, we were um, through uh, like BNI groups mm-hmm. together, and um, and just kind of the the Northampton networking scene and mm-hmm. growing our businesses there. And and you were just a single entrepreneur, you were a solopreneur. Mm-hmm. And now, when I looked onto your Callings and Courage website, you have a whole team. Yes, I do have a whole team. Um, currently, I have three different people who do like who assist me in various ways. Um, But I'm also in the conversation with uh, potentially bringing on another coach on on my team. Cool. Uh, Yeah. How did that evolve? Uh, Just over the years, getting the word out. And uh, yeah, knowing, knowing that I could not, there's no way that I could do it on my own and really choosing to invest in support for myself because really the people on my team right now are, are not actually coaching people yet. Um, but there are, you know, website and newsletter and bookkeeping and, and those uh, all take a lot of work. Great. There's no way that I could be, uh, I wouldn't be happy. I would be so stressed if I was doing all those things myself. So, yeah, just knowing that biting the bullet and making the investment and I have really wonderful people supporting me. Amazing. So, yeah. So you have somebody doing bookkeeping for you mm-hmm. and uh and so everybody's part of the Callings and Courage mm-hmm. team. Yeah. That's amazing. And you're you're the you're the main person. Yes. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. And I'm the main person that I'm really mostly the only person that my clients interface with right now. That might change in the next year or so um but yeah yeah well congratulations for growing and you know also recognizing your own needs mm-hmm. within that um of being able to be like outsource well yeah I mean it's one of the great th- great things about being a coach is that I can't I mean I don't think I'd clearly I'm a nerd right and so I can't be really I love to learn and I love to practice and uh but I can't be a hypocrite. Like then I wouldn't actually be learning anything. So, <laughs> so I need to practice what I preach. Yeah. And, uh, so I have accountability. I, I need to practice what I preach, and it works. So I'm have amazing. A team. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, do you? I know that you've mentioned that you um, have done a lot of different trainings. Do you work with a coach um, for your for your own business? Yes. Yeah, I do. Uh, On and off, I've worked with a coach named Mark Silver, who is a Sufi business coach. He's been doing it about 20 years, and his business is Heart of Business, and I highly recommend him. Um, Yeah, so I've I've worked with him on on and off over the years, Uh, but then I'm always engaged in some type of training. Like right now, I've for the last year, I've been studying something called Systemic and family constellations. Oh, uh, I love that stuff. Mm-hmm. We had I had a guest on here who um, who was talking a little bit about the family constellations. Really? Yeah, and um, don't ask me to give you his name right okay. now because it's not going to come out right on the top of my head. But yeah. um, it's such neat work. Yeah, no, it's it is so exceptionally powerful. It is a methodology that came out of Germany, uh, and now, well, actually. I should say 
it was it was developed by a man named Bert Hellinger, who was a um, a priest who spent many many years with the Zulu people in South Africa, and was also a psychotherapist and um, developed this methodology that is now all over Europe and all over Latin America. When I was living in Mexico, I'd hear about family constellations all the time. I just thought it was like astrology. And I was like, well, that's cool, but I'm not really yeah. psyched. So, but it's not, it's not about astrology at all. Um, it's been in the United States for about 20 years, but is now starting to take off. And it is a methodology with which you can represent um, aspects of a system in order to get clear about what the dynamics that are holding people back is and what the dynamics and then kind of create a new picture of what um, of clarity and result resolution um, of old patterns and works a lot with intergenerational trauma um, and you can also use it with organizations or businesses so I did a six month training my partner and I did a six month training um, with a woman Francesca Mason Boring who's um, bicultural Shoshone European descent um, uh, and her training was incredible. We did that for six months in Maryland and are now doing a training with a man named Bill Mannell, who's a marriage and family therapist uh, in Connecticut. So I am always engaged in some type of um, training and that keeps me keeps me being able to help my clients so much more, but it also keeps, it allows me to keep growing and learning yeah. and, and staying curious yeah I don't I I, <laughs> I don't think I'll ever have a hard time staying curious <laughs> that, that at this point is like yeah that's ingrained that's in a new that's bones. your new habit yeah now. that's yeah. like that's always kind of been I'm I'm lucky in that regard it wasn't something I had to that wasn't one of the many things that I had to learn. But. Yeah, <laughs> didn't have to uncover that. That was that was right on top. Yeah, I love that. Um, so you know, and on your blog, I wanted to get back to your um, the Callings and Courage mm. website. Um, you have a really cute blog, Thank and you. you have some really nice little articles and posts yeah. on there. Um, and um, you shared a post about how to deal with naysayers or the voice of external doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that exercise that you detail about having to have conversations with loved ones who are a little less than supportive Mm -hmm. when you're Mm -hmm. taking on a new venture or exploring something where, you know, sometimes when we're exploring something new, our um, things can feel a little fragile as we're Mm -hmm. opening up Mm -hmm. and being a little bit vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really loved that blog post that you had about having those conversations with people that are are just kind of, like you said, you call them naysayers. Mm -hmm. Some people Mm -hmm. might call them haters. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But I would, I would love to hear a little bit more about, um, about your process of, or Mm. or can you give us an example of how um, having a difficult conversation with somebody who is a little less than supportive of Mm. of a new opening uh, in your life? Yeah. How that conversation could go down. Yeah. So a little bit of context with that teaching. So um, a lot of what I source from also is uh, the map of the hero's journey. And Joseph Campbell in the 1940s identified this these stages through which stories from across time and across the world track. And he wrote that after the hero gets the call, they go through a phase called the refusal of the call. And in the refusal, so that that's his language. And uh, from other trainings, I learned the language of the voice of naming the part that arises, the voice of doubt. Um, so the part that arises during the 
refusal to call is the voice of doubt. So that's the part, it can be either internal or external, that says, we have this longing, we have this calling, we have this, oh, I wanna do this thing. And then the voice of doubt says, but what if? And yeah, but, da, da, da. And what if, and what if, and what if, and what if, and what if. And typically what we can do in those moments is kind of try to push that, whether it's internal or external fear, push that away. But deep down, the voice of doubt has a positive intention for us. It has some need that it's trying to meet. Or if it's external, at least it has a positive intention for, that person has a positive intention for themselves, often for ourselves, but um, there's always a positive intention. And when we can sit and listen and identify what is the voice of doubt's positive intention, or it's the need that it's afraid that we won't meet, then we have, excuse me, then we have information, really necessary information to take our next steps forward. So um, honestly, I haven't had many personally conversations with a lot of naysayers in my life right now uh, because over the many years I've really learned to surround myself with people who support me. Um, that's huge. It's really huge. It's part of the container of yeah, support. No, it, it really is. This is a ch- this teaching about the voice of doubt I learned from my birthing from within training when I was, um, which is an incredible training that I still source from, um, which is to be a childbirth educator, um, but it's unlike any other childbirth education training. Mostly it was about supporting um, parent new parents through the hero's journey of to rite of passage to parenthood. And that was 10 years ago that I did that training. Um, I could give examples about voices of doubt in my own life. Uh, and I, cause I still practice this really often in my, well, when it comes up in my own life. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Well, but. it's, it's interesting <laughs> because, you know, I sometimes will, um, will practice, uh, the idea of getting, like, I might not have an actual conversation, but after I read that blog, I was like, oh, like, cause you had outlined, mm-hmm. um, a series of steps and then, um, about kind of like talking to that person da, 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 and, um, who had that, that doubt or those kind of external things. And I really want a Tesla. That's my, mm. that's my next car goal. <laughs> And I know they're a little expensive, but you can get them used and all this. And so whenever I, I um, you know, whenever I tell my dad about this, he's like, you better win the lottery because that's the only way you're going to get it. And I'm like, dad, you know, so he says these things. And I so I sat down and through meditation, I just mentally had that conversation yeah. with him. And it relieved me so much. Mm. And I was I was like, wow, this is actually a really powerful practice, whether you do it across the table from somebody mm-hmm. or if you just sit in meditation yeah. and just mentally you look them in the eye and you it achieves the exact same thing. Yeah. And just letting them know how you feel. And I feel like I really deeply understood I feel like he understood more of my perspective after that conversation, Mm -hmm. whether I was having a conversation with a different aspect of my own subconscious, Mm -hmm. whether it was the internal doubt or the external doubt. I was like, yeah, like something in this is is resonating Mm -hmm. through through my dad. And I was like, I want to explore that, you know, because I I want that car. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad that that was so helpful for you. I mean, it is a powerful it is a powerful teaching and it it's transformative for my clients and for me. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's really neat. And and also <clears throat> that, that when we are having a challenging 
relationship in our lives and and sometimes we can have the conversation with other people and sometimes we can't like sometimes <clears throat> there's people in our lives who are not able to hear us no matter how much we might try and uh in those situations to be able to at least get clear internally is the brain it's like if you imagine having a watching a scary movie, your body responds to that scary movie, even though you're not actually in the midst of like wherever cornfield, <laughs> cornfield, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so, but your your body responds the same. Our bodies respond to our imagination, and bodies are where our habits live. So, so if you're if you're imagining this conversation, it uh, it very well can just change how you feel inside it can also change then how you show up in your relationship even if you don't actually have the actual conversation yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it was so yeah i I really i did enjoy your blog very much there's some really great um posts in there so um, i love i love writing yeah it's it's clear it's very you know they're they're nice they're simple they're straightforward they all have a little bit of uh kind of either uh mythology or some kind of like social construction and then there's like some nice tidbits to help you work through stuff so yeah you are a great writer thank you yeah um and if you're just too Tuning in, you're listening to Energy Matters, uh, and we're on the last few minutes of chatting with Catherine Golub, who's a professional coach, um, helping people find clarity in their in their life and their work. Um, and how can how can people how can people find you? What's mm-hmm. the simplest way that mm-hmm. um, people can can reach out and kind of understand a little bit more about what yeah. you do? Yeah. So the way for people to find me is through my website, which is callingsencourage.com. And currently. Uh, in in the next year, I'm going to be working hard to launch a few different online courses because cool. I love coaching, and I also know a lot of people can't afford coaching. And coming from you know, social justice is really important to me. Accessibility is really important to me. And in order to make my teachings or the teachings that I share way more accessible i'm working in the next year to launch a few different online courses so likely the plan is right now uh is to uh, to start a course on on intuition called the compass and uh and after that to offer a few more courses i'm working on the second draft of my book and the book covers the four groups of skills that people need to get clear on what's next and so those are the compass the uh the vision so being able to identify what it is that you're wanting and longing for in the next phase of your life allies so how to have all the different conversations that we need to have in order to take action and move forward and understanding that we can't get clear on our own we need to, we get clear in conversation with our people that we want to serve or people we want to collaborate with. Um, and then finally, the gates, which is all about how to move through the refusal of the call and develop mm. confidence and courage. So that's the plan for 2020. And and currently, I also have a small group coaching program for healers, but it's currently full. Um, that'll likely open up again in March-ish. Um, and... 
but if people are interested in coaching and people are interested in that one-on-one supportive relationship and that container of support, then what I would invite people to do is go to my website and uh, fill out the discovery session application form because I offer a free one-hour conversation with folks who are curious about the possibility of coaching with me. And that's really an assessment to get clear on what they need and what I would advocate for support for them, which they may be a good match for what I offer or I may suggest something else. Um, but that's a one hour free conversation. Um, and I would, I would, I, I really enjoy having those conversations with folks. So folks could sign up for that. I believe that the, uh, backlink, I think that the, the address is callingsencouraged.com backslash discovery hyphen session. Okay. But it's probably all if you go to callings. <laughs> if you go to any of the coaching pages, you'll find a discovery session application there. So Perfect. it's yeah. all over the place so that you people can find it. Yeah, so, it's supposed to be easy yeah. to find. It's so. easy to find. Fabulous. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and uh, and we're just coming to our last few minutes right now. But uh, do you have any last little tidbits or piece of pieces of advice that you'd like to just throw into the universe? Mm. I think that the... It's not necessarily a piece of advice, but really, I was saying to my client the other day, the the second one who had shared kind of judging herself for wanting to be loved, I was like, it is such a privilege to get to do what I do because I get to see the same things that people say over and over again because they're human. And oftentimes it takes a little bit of, like in my group coaching, it can take a a little bit of time for folks to feel safe to be vulnerable crying or sharing their emotional stuff even if it's really easy with they've worked it with me one-on-one shifting into the group can be can be a little can be a little scary and then the first person who cries it's like you give a gift yeah you give a (laughs) gift to everybody else so really it's not advice but like you you are not alone we are not alone that the hero's Joseph Cannibal was able to identify the steps of the hero's journey, was able to name the refusal of the call because it's the most human thing ever. And so whether it's you're wanting people to love you or it's, or it's, uh, you know, having struggling with ever, whatever you're struggling with, you're not alone and change is completely possible. So, yeah. And I know it's hard to just take my word for it, but, it's true. So it's true, guys. It's true. <laughs> Change is possible. It's true. Period. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lovely. Well, thank you so much, Catherine, for coming on the show today and sharing about what you do and, and sharing about your life and work and, and all this good stuff. Um, so, you know, if, if anyone is curious and they're just tuning in in the last few minutes, um, you know, the uh, the website to find more information is callingsandcourage.com. Um, and so thank you again, Catherine. Thank you so much, Caroline. And it was really fun. Of course, of course. <laughs> Have a great weekend, everyone, and be well. <laughs>